outline. Slip your hand up, we'll get you one. Otherwise, let's get to Ephesians chapter number 4 tonight. Ephesians chapter number 4, we've been in the book of Ephesians a long time. And last week, we part 1, this is part 2. That's why inside it says number 2 and not number 1. We covered part 1 last week, and we'll talk about that we'll review just a little bit tonight. On the back table back there when you leave tonight, there are the mission prayer for the month. They're on the table back there, as well as a um, balance sheet for the church for the month of February. Those are both on the table back there. You can get those back there. Ephesians 4, look with me in verse number 25. The Bible says, Wherefore put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not, and let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. But him that stole, steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may get, have to give to him that needeth. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearers, and grieve God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Father, I pray the next few minutes we have here tonight that you'd be pleased and you'd be glorified and help us tonight as we look at this passage, as we continue to study here the results of a transformed life. We love you. We need you. Bless the next few minutes together. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We saw two weeks ago, back in verse number 17, Paul says here, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. And he goes through and he's like, as a Christian, you should not walk like this world walks. They walk in the, it talks about there, it says the vanity of their minds. And it talks about their understanding darkened and the blindness of their hearts. They've had those feelings of giving themselves over to lasciviousness. But that's not how it is for a Christian. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. And the Bible tells us that when we got saved, we become a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things are become new. You know how Jesus talked to Nicodemus and said, you must be born again. When we get born again, something takes place and things change. We go from in Ephesians chapter 2, where it talks about being dead in our trespasses and sins, and all these different things, our course that we walked, and children of wrath, even disobedience, all these different things, that changed when we got saved. We're made to sit in heavenly places. All that changes in our lives. And Paul is trying to get to the believers in Ephesus and let them understand this fact. Don't walk like this world walks. Because you're saved, you don't have to walk that way. And he starts out by saying you need to take off and put off the old man. And just like you have a coat on you, take that coat off. You're supposed to put off that old man. All of us have a problem with the old man. And I'm not talking about the old men sitting in the room here tonight. Most of them are friendly guys, and we like them. That's not what we're talking about tonight. What we're talking about is our old man, before salvation, who we were before Christ. All of us struggle with it. I had a question at youth group tonight. Why is it that I struggle with in the, the area was this? And it's because of our old man. The old man, we're going to battle the old man. He's there. Some people think the moment you get saved that magically the old man goes away. It's a little warm. Is anybody a little warm in here? stuffy in here 
and uh, the air was turned completely off. When that happens, it doesn't, there, it'll get a little cooler in here, we'll be in good shape. And uh, I'll bring the heat from the pulpit, don't worry about that. No, I'm just kidding. So, um, where was I at before I said that smart aleck comment right there? The old, see, the old man in me just wanted to say that. But the old man, we all struggle. We get saved and somehow we magically think we'll never struggle with the old man again. That's not true. As long as we have this flesh, as long as we're here, we're going to battle with that old man. And Paul says, put off the old man. And the next thing he says in, in those verses there, he says, be renewed in your mind. How do you renew your mind? Through the word of God, through being filled with the spirit of God. And as those things happen, you put on the new man. And it's important. We need that new man. That new man handles situations right. That new man, as we look at verse 25, doesn't lie. The old man likes to lie. Sometimes it's easier, we think, to lie. It's never easier. The way of the transgressor is hard, the Bible says. But it's more natural to do bad things. And we all struggle with that. Paul says, put that off, be renewed in your mind, and put on the new man. And then he goes into these, the results of the transformed life. And last week we looked at, first of all, the arena of, our, of, our, of what we say, our words. And we saw there in verse number 25, Wherefore put away lying, speak every man the truth with his neighbor, who are members one of another. And then verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that may minister grace unto the hearer. So last week we looked at, in the arena of our words, and our words are important, we've got to stop the lying, and we need to build people up. That's what the Bible's talking about. And that should be the results as we have the new man on. That's some of the results of the transformed life. So we looked last week at the arena of um, our words. Tonight, I want you to look with me in verse number 26. The Bible says, Be angry and sin not. And let not the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place to the devil. And then go down to verse number 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Tonight we're going to talk about, last week we looked at it in the arena of our words, tonight we're going to look at it in the arena of our wrath. In the arena of our wrath. We read verse 26, it says, Be angry and sin not, and let not the sun go down upon our wrath. One of the results of God's transforming work is that in our tempers. This verse, verse 26, is a direct quotation that comes from Psalm 4.4. The Bible says there in Psalm 4.4, Stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still, Selah. This verse uh, is a direct quotation that's taken, verse 26 of our text tonight. So for a little bit of time tonight, I want to talk about our wrath. Letter A underneath that. You're like, we're already in the letter A. We've only got A, B, and C. We'll be out of here soon. Keep thinking that. Letter A, there's a command. The Bible says right here, be angry. Is that what you see right there? Be angry. This phrase is in the imperative mood. That makes it a command. There are things to get angry about. Say, really? It's okay for me to get angry. Hold it before you go any further with that thought. It says, be angry and sin not. 
there's a fine line where this balance is out. We're going to talk about that here tonight. This is a positive command for us to express anger. The word anger refers to deep-seated determination and settled conviction. It comes from a word that means to be red-faced. It gives the impression of a person with clenched fists, a red face, and a building anger towards a situation. And this can speak towards the motion of something that is good or bad, depending, get this, it all depends on one's motives. Not all anger is wrong. That's a Bible fact. It must mean that there is some good that could inspire from our anger. Like what? Jesus expressed anger. He did. Doesn't the Bible talk about God in the Old Testament getting angry with the children of Israel? Yeah. Well, think about this. Mark 3, verse number 5. And when he looked round about on them with anger, this is Jesus, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said to them, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. He was angry at the Pharisees who resented him healing the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day. It angered him. Matthew 21, verse number 12, the Bible says, And when Jesus went into the temple and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. John 2.15 also says, And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overthrew the, te- the, the tables. He was angry with those who had turned God's house into a place of merchandise. Can you imagine Jesus went in and just started flipping the tables over? He got upset. He was angry. You might say, you look at Jesus at other times when he stood before Pilate. He didn't say a word. No anger showed. When Judas kissed him, he said, this is the one. We study the scriptures, and a lot of times there's a meek and mild Jesus. There were some times where he got upset, where he got angry. He expressed his anger. Jesus was angered by anything that misrepresented his heavenly Father or the true worship of God. Jesus was angered by those who used religion as a club to express or to oppress the people of God. Jesus was angered by the hypocrisy of the religious people of his day. There are things that should make us angry today. Are you ready for some? There are some things to be angry about. Are you ready? We should be angered by abortion. The murdering of innocent children. That should get us a little angry. We should be angry that the family is so undermined in our society today. The family should be built up, but it's undermined and being destroyed in our society. We should be angered when a minority who engages in a lifestyle that God does not promote tries to speak for all of us and they do everything in their power to force their sin down our throats. That should anger us. We should be angry when the weak, the poor, and the less fortunate are mistreated. 
should be angry by the injustices anywhere we meet. We should get angry when people try to cast doubt on this book right here and the doctrines that we hold to be true. Anger can either be kindled by hell or by the fire from the altar of God. Holy anger is a wholesome thing, a fearsome thing. Anyone who cannot be angry, you think about this, anyone who cannot be angry with babies being aborted, there's something not quite right with that person. And the fact that people can justify it and say the things that they do, there's some, there's, it's either a display of the deep depravity in, in their hearts or the spineless coward they might be to stand up against it with no moral conviction at all. The right kind of anger is a good thing. When the Bible says right here in verse 26, be angry, that's what it's talking about. But you've got to understand something. Um, we see the command here. There's a command, but letter B, we see there's a caution. Be angry and sin not. And sin not. There's a problem. There's a caution with this matter of our being angry. We are rarely angry at the right people or about the right things or about the right moment in the right way for the reasons that are right. This is why Paul says here, be angry, be angry and sin not. Why? We have a hard time controlling most aspects of anger. Most of the time on our part, anger is selfish in nature. We are angry because we've been hurt or we've been offended. We've been slighted. Usually our anger is centered on us and how we feel. Sinful anger is always self-serving and self-defensive. It's always anger at what is done to self. It's the anger that leads to a hateful spirit and judgment from God. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 and 22 tell us, You have heard that was said of them of old time, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whosoever shall say to his brother Reka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Say, what's the difference? The difference between good anger and bad anger is the focus of that anger. What is your anger focused on? A good rule of thumb is this. If you're angry about something that affects you, how you feel, what you think, that is sinful anger because it's focusing on self. If you're angry about the harm done to God and His Word, it can be, and others, it can be righteous anger. When self is included in the anger, it's always wrong. Jesus never once did it for himself. He saw his father's house being taken advantage of. And he got upset about it. He got upset that those Pharisees and those that should know what is right had the wrong heart. Good test. Am I angry because this happened to me? Or does my anger exist because a terrible wrong was done to someone else? 
Consider this quote. Of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. To lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the um, prospect of bitter confrontation still to come, to savor to the last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you are giving back, in many ways is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that what you are wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. That's what our anger does. When is anger wrong? When does anger become sin? Here's a few thoughts for you. It's not there in the notes. You can write these down if you want. But anger becomes sin when it's centered on self. Anger is sin, becomes sin, when we allow it to grow into resentment and angry outbursts. Verse 31, that's why it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. It says it right there. We think about the works of the flesh, Galatians 5, verse 19 to 21. The Bible says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such alike. And we see these things that are listed right here. As we look at these things, we think about hatred, Hatred, what starts hatred? I believe anger does. What leads to wrath? Anger. Anger plays a part in a lot of things. you got to be careful. Anger becomes sin when it plots the downward or the downfall of another person. You gossip, you slander, you plot against them, campaign against them, whatever the case may be. Anger becomes sin when it grows vengeful. The Bible makes it very clear in Romans 12, verse number 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Brother, give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Let him take care of it. When you get angry and it grows to where you want to be vengeful and vindictive and mean that's sin anger is sin when it consumes our lives and all we can think about is the person who wronged us because who are we supposed to be thinking about? Jesus and when you're full of anger and what's ever happened you cannot focus on Jesus like you should anger is wrong when when it messes up our worship hinders our faithfulness to God fills us with bitterness and undermines our joy. And it happens. I could tell you of folks that used to sit right here in this room on a Wednesday night, that their anger's gotten to them in their life and to where they don't go to church anymore. And their excuse, heard an excuse not just a while back, and the excuse was, I'm just upset at people. Not you, Pastor. You've got to handle that anger or it will handle you we can't give place to the devil and more we'll talk more about that in a minute many years ago there was a Knicks and Bullets playoff game and that's a long time ago because the Washington Bullets aren't even around anymore today but that used to be a team and one of the Bullets came up from behind and hit Walt Frazier anybody anybody ever get to see Walt Frazier play and he, no 
And uh, you put your hand up back there, Joe. And uh, yeah, it was funny though. What happened was that came up behind Walt Frazier and punched him in the back of the head, and they called the foul on Walt Frazier. He didn't complain. He didn't say a word. He simply called for the ball and put in seven straight baskets and then put on an amazing display and won the game. That's an example of anger that did not sin. You've got to be careful. We see there's a command, be angry. There's things to be angry about, but it's the right things. And then we see there's a caution, letter B, that we sin not. And we see number three, or letter C, and lastly tonight, we see there's a condition. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. The command there is very clear. Get a handle on your anger quickly. Anger that is allowed to simmer turns into resentment. Resentment soon turns into bitterness. And bitterness turns into the root of self-righteousness that chokes the life, peace, and joy out of you and all of those who have to put up with you. I will say all of that one more time tonight. Resentment soon turns into bitterness. Bitterness turns into a root of self-righteousness that chokes the life, peace, and joy out of you and everyone that has to deal with you. It should also be known that anger, resentment, and bitterness are contagious. They attack other lives and drug other victims into it. Drag other victims. And it's interesting to note, you look at verse 27 right here, it says, neither give place to the devil. The very next verse. When we take our anger to bed with us and don't deal with our anger, it allows it, and as we allow it to grow and simmer in our hearts, we're giving the devil a spot of ground in our life to do his work. And last time I checked, he does not need any place to work. We're giving him a spot, though. The word place that refers to a piece of ground. And when we don't deal with the anger, and we let that anger stay, and we don't deal with it, and as it grows inside, we're giving Satan an opportunity to attack us. And that's the last thing we should be doing. He can cause us to seek revenge and violation of the clear teachings of the Word of God and how we should handle things. I was going to tell the joke, but I already told a couple weeks ago about the woman that went to the doctor that ended up with rabies. And the doctor said, you don't have long to live. And the lady pulled out a piece of paper. She's writing down all these things. And the doctor's like, are you writing out your will? And she's like, no, I'm writing out all the people I want to bite before I die. I did tell that, but I told it again. Some of you still laugh. That's why I said Or do you hear about the ad that was on? Craigslist or one of those places that said wedding dress for sale, never worn. We'll trade for a thirty-eight pistol. That's not, yeah. Or maybe we should be like the preacher. I heard a preacher say this one time. He said, I'm not going to get even. I'm just going to tell God on you. And uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Whatever the case is, what we got to understand is this. If we allow that anger to run its ultimate inside of us and do what it does we're giving satan a place to work and the bible tells us in second corinthians 2 11 says lest satan should get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices you're giving him an advantage when you leave that plot of ground open 
for him to come in and to work. When he does, Satan will feed your self-pity, pride, self-righteousness, vengeance, defense of your rights, and every other sort of selfish sin that violates God's word. Don't give Satan spot in your life. That is why Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 23 through 26. We read those two verses a few minutes ago from the same passage, but verse 23 says, Therefore thou wilt bring thy gifts to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee. Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, then come and offer thy gift. Verse 25, Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto you, Thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. What? You think about this. I should have used, as I was reading that, there's another passage I should have taken you to. And uh, I don't know what, I'm going to give you the reference because I don't know what it is. But remember how Jesus gave the parable about the man that went before the judge. and he Or, or he went to the king or the judge, one of those. And he owed a huge sum of money. And the king or the judge said, you're forgiven. You can go, you're free, you're forgiven. On the way out, a man saw a man who owed him pennies compared to what he owed. And he had them arrest that guy for what he owed them. And we got back to the king or to the judge, whatever the case was there. And the judge wasn't very happy. They took the man who had been forgiven and it says they turned him over to the tormentors. I think you very easily could apply in that story bitterness, all these different things, and the torment you go through when you don't forgive somebody. Like it talks about here, without being cast into the prison, you put yourself there when you don't forgive. And you're not helping anyone. You're hurting yourself in the midst of it. There's a lot more I could say there. If we don't find the right outlet for anger, it will destroy us. Abraham Lincoln's Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, was angered by an army officer who accused him of favoritism. Stanton came to Lincoln, and he complained to Lincoln, who suggested that Stanton write, a, write the officer a sharp letter and put all of his words in that letter. So Stanton did, and he showed the strongly worded letter to the president. Lincoln asked him, what are you going to do with it? And surprised, Stanton replied, I'm going to send it, of course. Lincoln shook his head and said, you don't want to send that letter. He said, put that in the stove. That's what I do when I have written a letter when I'm angry. It's a good letter, and you had a good time writing it, and feel better. Now burn it and write another. And that's just what Lincoln did too. When Abraham Lincoln had to write a letter to someone who had irritated him, he'd often write two letters. The first was deliberately insulting. Then, having gotten those feelings out of his system, he would tear it up, burn it, and then he would write a second letter that was more tactful and kind. I've used that strategy several times. And I'm going to give this person a piece of my mind. Think about mine, so it's not that big of a piece, but it shouldn't be something that I worry about. 
But there have been many times I write a letter, and then I shred it. Just watch, they'd be the ones emptying the trash in the church or something. And what's this letter pastor's going to send me? No, no, no. No, I shred all the evidence of it. And then there have been times where I felt like this letter should be sent. But you know what I did after I wrote it? I did not send it right away. And that's probably more tactful than some. I set it in my desk, and I pray on it for a little bit of time before I deal with it. That's some advice right there. We don't learn to handle our anger. It will handle us. Let's just go with what the Bible has to say. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about this. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 17, the Bible says, He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly, and a man of wicked devices is hated. The next verse in Proverbs there, Proverbs 22, verse 24, Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go. Look at what the next verse says. Lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to the soul. Proverbs 29, verse 22, An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Do we want that? I don't think we want that. Proverbs 15, verse 18, A wrathful man stirreth up strife, but he that is slow to anger appeaseth strife. That's what we need. We need to be slow to anger. Isn't that how Jesus is? Isn't that how the Lord is? Proverbs 16, verse 32, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that rules his spirit than he that taketh a city. Powerful. Proverbs 19, 11, The discretion of a man deferreth his anger, and it is his glory to pass over a transgression. Proverbs 27, 4, Wrath is cruel, and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? In the spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles came to Boston to play a baseball game. Russ, you hear I'm talking about baseball. You can wake up. Baseball? Okay. This was just for you. That's why I got this here. Just for you. Baseball. He's awake. I should have used this about 10 minutes ago so he could have heard all those verses. Then, I'm just kidding. That was a joke. Don't be so defensive. Normally when people get defensive, it's because it's true. Sorry. Okay, I'll leave you alone. So, Russ, back to baseball, okay? So, 1894. Do you know this story about the Baltimore Orioles in Boston? They played a game in 1894 in the spring? No? You think so? He's going to tell me after I tell a story. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Yeah. It's like sometimes I'll call my parents. And, you know, they're, they're getting up in ages. And they're like, we're watching a movie. We don't think we've seen this movie before. And then they call me later on. We've seen it. We realize by the end that we had seen it. In 1894, so they're playing a routine baseball game. But what happened that day wasn't routine. The Orioles' John McGraw got into a fight with the Boston's third baseman. Within minutes, the players from both teams had joined in the brawl, and the warfare spread into the stands. Among the fans, the conflict went so bad it, went even, it got even worse. Someone set fire to the stands. And the entire ballpark burned to the ground. Not only that, but the fire spread to 107 other buildings in Boston. All because of some fighting going on during a baseball game in 1894. I'll say it again. The problem is that we're seldomly angry 
for the right things. Benjamin Franklin said this about anger. Anger is never without a reason, but seldom a good one. If we are truly saved, our tempers are another area of our lives that should be different than this world and should be brought under his control. That new man gets angry but sins not. The old man gets angry and sins and sins and gets bitter and things get worse. When the Lord is Lord of your life, He'll even be Lord over your anger. God help us in this area. God help us as last week we looked at our words and our anger. And we'll find out more next time we meet on a Wednesday night. Father, we love you. We thank you for the time we've had tonight. We thank you for your love for us.